0: You can also gain access to our found footage show, The Weird Tape Series, and even our Patreon-exclusive, fully-produced audio series, Devil's Clay. So, with all that said, I will leave you to the darkness.
1: One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice
2: dress. Uh, It's a a t-shirt.
0: Hello, Sleep Wake Cycle fans. This is Mark Angelone, the head writer and creator of the Sleep Wake Cycle. I just wanted to let you know that we have a new release schedule, and it will be from here on out uh, Mondays and Thursdays, and that we really hope you drop in to listen. And uh, thank you very much. Uh. I backed away from the hole and took my hand from the briefcase. I could already feel an alternative forming. Fools
3: are the supper of darkness, brazen one. Though, here in Nighthead, especially in this very special area, I thought fools long extinct. Overhunted, you might say but it pleases me to see that some of you have indeed survived. If only so that I might enjoy a fine, if largely unseasoned,
0: meal." The voice was suddenly everywhere, like the cold, maybe one and the same. But it wasn't the cold that stood out to my senses as much as the hoodoo, devilry, mojo, whatever you want to call the stuff from the other side. It poured out all over the place, a ruptured gas main pumping poison into the air. My hackles jumped whenever I felt it, and a coldness tugged at my guts. It was practically tangible to me. Pretty cocky for a fella that has to hide in the dark. Why,
3: who's hiding? You appear to see me quite clearly, for I am the Dark. That's so. Why take only my word for it, when I can just as easily show you?
0: The world began fading away, a far more dramatic sensation than if it were merely blacked out for lack of light. It was like being dragged under the blackest, calmest water, yet I could still breathe, still move without resistance. But like drowning, I could feel something cold and liquessent trying to pour itself down my throat ears and nose, cutting me off from the light, from life. While the night wasn't exactly my best time, I had a feeling I wouldn't need to be at my full strength to derail the moment. It wasn't darkness to me anymore, to that part of me that rejected the fantastic, scowled at imagination. My attacker immediately lost his strangeness, just a song wasted upon deaf ears. The cold that tugged at my gut leaked out from me, creeping along my skin, tiny curling mists that sought to solidify the world. You aren't the only one who likes the cold, fella. My feet felt the touch of solid earth again, and I reached out to the bulb hanging from the ceiling. Let me see if I can uh, fix your electrical problem. The otherworldly energy that wrapped around the bulb fled the approach of my hand. Once my finger touched the glass, light flickered back into existence. The thing made an awful racket, a nightmare-throwing tantrum. Didn't know you were messing with an electrician, did you? <laughs> As the alien cold and dark shot back from the lone bulb, the thing became visible for just a split second. A plume of squirming shadow that lingered a moment against the light. I was out of the room and back in the alleyways. I couldn't afford to press my luck any further. Just before I bolted, I could feel whatever it was, coiling below the floorboards, getting ready for a second pass at me. Back on the blimp in no time, I was thankful that whatever i just tangled with hadn't followed me. Crossing swords with exopaths was always a risky venture, but I had certain advantages, not least of which was my comfortable grasp on sanity. Sure, exos could infect the status quo with some measure of their madness, but that madness made them vulnerable. But the thing from the hole didn't strike me as crazy. Hell, it didn't even strike me as human. I'm no stranger to weirdness, or even the inhuman. But I wasn't in the habit of hunting that side of the woods. I mean, the things I saw during the great darkness alone made the shadow thing more than tame by comparison. But for me anyway, the darkness was, uh, different. It wasn't threatening. It was the barest truth I'd ever known. Terrible and beautiful in equal measure. The thing from the idols district was a different ball of wax entirely. Good thing my gift worked on it or I'd probably be down in that hole, getting eaten, or whatever a shadow thing does to its victims. Why the higher-ups kicked this can to me and Romy, I couldn't fathom. Guys back in Jericho were being specifically trained for this sort of stuff. Hunters of the dark, that whole bunch. But one thing was becoming crystal clear. Whatever was going on in Maros, it wasn't confined to the human, or even the parahuman. Adapt or get steamrolled, that was the name of the game. Garrett came stumbling onto the zeppelin just before breakfast, looking about as bad as he felt, I imagined. It was a pretty hefty rock. I was in limbo about how to proceed. The shadow thing complicated what I could take for granted, what I could plan on. Could it have found Garrett and caught him up on things? Did the thing get a read on me while we were facing off? The only reason I tailed Garrett was to see who was pulling his strings, and now I was more in the dark than when I started out. No pun intended. I hoped Romy had better luck. My sister blew in not long after Garrett, looking stone-faced as usual, but somehow I knew not all was well. I wonder if she knew that went for both of us. By the time we'd settled in for more coffee and Cajun Marys, we'd already shared the most conspicuous features of our respective misadventures. I think we should jump ship, fast, before Garrett can follow. The move made sense in an instinctive, gut-fueled way. It was the only monkey wrench we had, to do something unexpected.
1: Hmm, maybe I might get a chance to attend Scrim's lecture after all. Still, you sure we shouldn't just play along, like we don't know what we know?
0: If there's one thing hunting exopaths has taught me, it's never meet the mark on their own terms. When we talk to Kilroy, it's going to be on our terms.
1: When I dropped the name Calistago, you looked like you recognized the name.
0: Yeah, you can't spend as much time as I have in Nighthead and not heard of Ambrose Calistago his family practically, if not actually, runs the place. Though I've heard from a few people that the rabbit hole goes a lot deeper than even them.
1: You mean Undor, right? The mythic city beneath Nighthead?
0: Yeah, you've heard of it.
1: <laughs> what did you think I was doing at Salence? Working on my bachelor's degree? <laughs> I studied divination, augury, and quite a bit of esoteric history under some of the biggest names in Europe.
0: <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to sound condescending. Won't happen again. Promise.
1: I assume you also know that your shadowy friend from the alleyway sounds a lot like the Walking Dark, beings from the Oldest night. They're mentioned within the Indominus Noctum, one of the secret books in the worship of Sathanas.
0: Okay, now you're you're just showing off.
1: They're supposed to be formed from the original darkness that filled the universe before the lighting of the suns. When Sathanas, a creature called an unbegotten, was forced to retreat to the unlit corners of the universe, Undor was built on the site of one of those corners.
0: Why do I feel like I'm the one taking a class now? So you're saying that the Kilroys might be in league with some kind of living darkness. Is that it?
1: Now who's sounding skeptical? My new Victorian brother.
0: No, it's not like that. I'm just not seeing how Marrows and the eel kid fit into all of that.
1: Well, the illustrations from the color secrets showed dark spirits being channeled into animals and then children emerging from the animals. I mean, it's kind of a crazy quilt of different myths and dream symbols, but it makes a sort of sense.
0: Yeah, definitely. The broad strokes paint a pretty picture. A pretty awful picture. But it's the detail work, the minutiae that's throwing me. Let's assume what you're saying is right. What would such an arrangement of powers, godlike powers no less, need with a crappy little fishing village... Why send some schmuck to tail us? I don't know. Something's... something's not right.
1: Zeppelin's taking off soon. If we're going to slip the fishmonger, we have to move. You grab the luggage and head out. I'm going to have a little chat with our friend. I won't be far behind you.
0: Romy didn't expand on her plan, but she knew what she was doing. I was loaded up and down the ramp in short order. Last thing I spotted was Romy sliding into the seat next to Garrett, her eyes glowing especially blue.
1: I was no hypnotism expert, but putting people to sleep was a cakewalk. I sat down next to him and Garrett stared right back at me. He didn't even try looking away. Thankfully, we were in the back of the tea room, so no one paid us any attention. I could have had him conk out then and there, but I wanted to see if I could save a little time by getting him to talk while half awake. The trick was getting him to forget he'd ever seen me and then fall deeper into sleep. I'd only done it a few times before with varying results, but I had to try. Who are you working for, Garrett?
0: I I belong to him, who calls out from the great below hydras for horns, hate for a heart.
1: Do you work for the Kilroys?
0: They are the pen, but not the writer.
1: Do you work with the Callistagos?
0: They hold up the darkness and we drink from it.
1: The engines began to whine. Time had run out. My damn hypnosis made poets out of peasants, so I was stuck with gobbledygook for all my trouble, but it would have to do. Next came the hard part, putting him to sleep while wiping his memory. Generally, I exercised my ability within a dream, which didn't require nearly as much subtlety but a mind balanced on the brink of waking required a lot more finesse. Yanking information out of a barely unconscious brain could lift emotions to the surface, emotions that could wake the person up. I took Garrett's mind into the lightest grasp I could manage, setting him softly adrift in a growing pool of sleep, rippling the current slightly, blurring memory into dream. He slumped into me, snoring. I gently guided his head to the table and soon caught up to Isaiah. The Calistagos are in on it. Bags in hand, we watched our ride float into the morning sky.
0: Ah, crap.
1: Moving deeper into Nighthead, we checked into a hotel under fresh names, Elliot and Pamela Ross, and immediately started sorting through the additional written materials, trying to connect some dots. I could tell Isaiah wasn't into this aspect of our work, at one point turning away from me and ticking. I likely hated his eye ticks only slightly less than he did. That wet sound his eyes made when he rubbed and clutched at them. When we were little, I'd spend most of the night with my fingers stuck in my ears. Of course, I'd get back at him whenever I whimpered all night with my latest night terror.
0: I might have a contact in all of this. A guy I knew from Jericho. He quit the biz not too long into his first gig. Went into security. He's worked for some of the biggest names in the city. If anyone could tell us something useful about the Calistagos, it'd be him.
1: Well, if we're heading out again, I'm going to get a quick read on things.
0: You can do a dream read? Like, on the city?
1: Sometimes a place is so consolidated in its thinking, it produces a sort of collective dream. It's a lot more diffuse than the standard, naturally, but it's good for reading the headlines, if not the fine print, if you catch my drift. (laughs)
0: Well, uh, prepare for a lot of nocturnalism commercials.
1: (laughs) And the gas and electric barons counting dollar signs to put themselves to sleep, no doubt. Isaiah pulled his briefcase out of hiding, and for the first time, I realized the thing gave off a chill. It seemed the infamous pale revolvers might be more than just guns with a novel paint job. Focusing on the task at hand, I sat down on the fancy cushioned window seat. Isaiah apparently liked throwing away his money, opting for one of the priciest rooms in the place. I faced the city below and did what came naturally. There was indeed a collective dream hovering over Nighthead a sizable one. It was hardly surprising. The place was more tribe than city. The population was practically cemented together by a collective love of the dark and all the strange things that lurked it. The outer membrane of the dream was stronger than I imagined. Getting through it was less like passing through running water and more like pushing apart a clay barrier. After muscling beyond it, there was only biting cold and endless dark, and the feeling of being surrounded by vast, unseen things. The dream was like the shadow of something monolithic, cosmic. And there I was, out in the open, effectively blind to whatever might be watching me drawing closer. Had I been given a choice between facing off with something from the dark and hearing those mountainous footfalls, I might have picked the former. Meteors have crashed more quietly. One footstep crashed down after the next, like God ascending a massive flight of steps leading up from oblivion. I needed to get while the getting was good, before whatever the hell it was made its way to me. The dream membrane solidified when I got about halfway through it, its grip like crushing ice. Focusing my mind, I shrugged off the clutch of cold shadows, but I could feel the darkness following me out of sleep. Tentacles of purest pitch lashing out at me, reaching. In one fluid motion, my balik was free, its blade a song of flashing steel. It severed the darkness where it coiled around me. I flinched awake, or as close to waking as my mind allowed. The shadows in the hotel room threw off the shapes of what cast them, becoming liquescent, streaking the walls and spilling across the floor like weightless tar. My wheeling awareness was pulled towards my brother who had risen from the bed, his expression made from ice. His eyes became pale, filling with the winter of dead worlds. They steadied me as I took to my feet. It was his gift to chase away the darkness where it sought to overthrow the light. His power was also a horrible sadness, the invocation of an empty existence where flights of fancy were painfully plucked of all their feathers. Beneath that cold gaze of his, the shadows retreated to their proper places and shapes.
0: Romy, Romy, are you okay? What the hell was that?
1: Gasping for breath, I could only turn toward the window and look back into the darkness. I could still hear the Titan from below, climbing up from black, bottomless depths. My God, Isaiah! What the hell have they gotten us into?
4: The Sleep-Wake Cycle is a Maltopia production. Today's episode was written by Mark Anzalone and performed by Kelly Bear and Mark Anzalone. The episode was edited by Walker Kornfeld. Sound production and editing was performed by Stephen Anzalone, and the Sleep-Wake Cycle theme song was written and performed by Sean Zeller. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Maltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. And if you'd like to know more about the world of the Sleep-Wake Cycle and contribute to its nightmarish expansion, visit us at www.patreon.com forward slash where you can gain access to all sorts of art, mythology, stories, and more. For more information about the sleep-wake cycle and the larger world of Maltopia, head over to Maltopia.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ